Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome in to the PHNX Suns podcast brought to you by the DraftKings Sportsbook app, America's number one sportsbook app. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star review. I'm Lindsay Smith, and I'm joined by Saul Bookman, Gerald Borgay, and Espo. Gentlemen, how you doing on this fine Tuesday afternoon? Fantastic. You know what? I didn't say this the other day, and I feel like we don't really have this platform to say it, but I'm going to say it because it's basketball and it's basketball related. But shout out to Ioka Lee. I don't know if you guys don't know who that is. Kansas State, she had 61 points in NCAA women's basketball record. I went to Kansas State for a year, so selfish Wait, plug. was she the one who didn't even hit a three-pointer in the whole game? It, she was 23 for 30, and if you watch the highlights, it's all <laughs> post work. She was yeah. giving them the work in the post, and it was a clinic. And you can see Nikias NBA and um, uh, Steve Jones, uh, they've been kind of tweeting about it as well. It's a clinic on not only post work, but also passing the ball into the post. Uh, some of the sons should kind of watch that because when DA comes back, we might want to take advantage oh, of this. Oh, no. Here we, hey, here we go. Hey, there we go. <laughs> Selfish DA plug. I love you, buddy. Come That's back. That's how uh. you bring it back to sons basketball. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember that, and I'm glad you gave her some love because I saw that circulating on Twitter, and I thought that was a really cool story. You know me. I'm a big w- women's basketball stand, so. Yeah, as you should be. Gerald, Espo, how you guys doing? Well, I'm sitting here waiting for a call from my agent to tell me Saul's offered me my contract extension, but I uh, haven't gotten that call yet. But other than that, I'm good. I mean, I'm I'm feeling good about the future this morning. I feel like uh, Espo alluded to it a little bit right there. But uh, the I don't know how many years we're looking at, but the next few years of Suns basketball seem a little bit brighter with this morning's news. Optimism is in the air because the Phoenix Suns announced today that they have extended the contract of general manager James Jones. So Jones is currently in his third full season as the Suns GM and some of the top things that he's been able to accomplish throughout his time as the GM is you'll remember, of course, he won the 2021 NBA executive, the executive of the year award. He hired Monty Williams as the team's head coach. And of course, he was very instrumental in the signing of Chris Paul. So I think we're all in agreement. This is this is a positive for us in Suns basketball world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, James Jones is 
you know, obviously there was there was a series of events that happened uh, once uh, James Jones kind of took over, and you know, the first one obviously being Monty Williams becoming head coach, um, which also uh, under his purview, and and then the subsequent moves. It just seems like every single move <clears throat> outside of Landry Shamit um, has has turned out and panned out very, very well for this team. And it just seems like everything he touches, even if we doubt it as a fan base at first, seems to work out uh, in a very positive way. Um, so I think, I think as any fan can say, like the, the most, the biggest thing you want from your franchise is to feel like they're not complete idiots and they're not just fumbling the ball every, at every turn. And for a while it felt like that. Um, and then James Jones and company kind of took a, took a hold, and uh, you know, and, and it definitely is the opposite of that. So I, I feel very good, uh, happy for him because he deserves it. Uh, you know, obviously he's he's proved his worth to this franchise. Yeah, I mean, James came in with a plan and the experience to back it up when it comes to uh, not in the front office, but knowing what it is to be part of a championship caliber organization obviously experienced in miami got to see how pat riley worked i uh, saw it with lebron in cleveland as well he he just soaked up all of that in his time in the league and he figured out how to take what was a toxic culture on the basketball side and build that stability and the first domino in that obviously was getting monty williams to come to Phoenix, but also convincing Robert Sarver to pay the money and make the commitment that it was going to take to get James Jones to Phoenix. We had seen a lot of first-time head coaches right. and weird hires over uh, over the decade before, and I think that was James Jones' biggest masterpiece uh, of this whole thing was finding a way to convince this organization that stop going to these first-time head coaches, get a leader of men, especially in a rebuild like, like they were in, and teach them how to be professionals. And the impact that that had on Devin Booker's career in particular, I think uh, can't go uh, unsaid. It's been uh, fantastic. There were a few missteps, let's be honest. The, the deal for Kelly Oubre obviously was uh, maybe a little bit more luck than than skill because of the whole Dylan Marshawn Brooks thing, but he's learned each step of the way, and, and that's a, a sign of a quality uh, general manager and, and head of your front office. So uh, I'm really happy to see that they did the right thing committing to James Jones long-term so he can continue to build this. I'd like to think too, Espo, that he convinced Robert Sarver to hand over the reins as far as uh, making the decisions. Like we've heard a lot of rumors in the past about who actually was making the decisions on the basketball side. And I would like to hope that that person now is James Jones at least 85% of the time, right? Yeah, you'd like to think so. But, it, you know, there's a craft to this. And I think when you come in to to help out with a franchise, if you come in with a with a you know kind of an outlook or a you know kind of a demeanor that Robert Sarver isn't going to jive with, maybe he thinks you're highly qualified and he wants to hire you because he thinks maybe you guys can work together. But 
I think what the the failure of maybe the past GMs might have been, and and Espo and Lindsay, you guys were in the house, so maybe you could speak more to this than than I can. And Gerald, you covered the team every single day, but from my perspective, there was something that lacked uh, with the other GMs in terms of the way they worked with Sarver, the way they embraced Sarver, and then the way they tried to work around Sarver. And I think James Jones, because of his his you know his playing history. Um, but also the respect that he has around the league from guys like LeBron. And, and so um, I think maybe uh, James Jones, you know, kind of uh, approaches Sarver in a different way. Like, hey, you know, maybe we should try this or maybe we should do this because of my experience. This is what happened, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, so uh, I, I don't know. I feel like maybe the approach here is the the most important thing because, you know, as you know, like we've all had difficult bosses and some people that know how to talk to that boss can get more out of him than others that don't and so, i think uh, james jones might have uh, might have been might have been beneficial in this i i think you're on to something there because from my experience and what i saw uh, robert sarver likes to be around guys who had success in the game <clears throat> players who can share stories things like that i mean he he really vibes with that he really loved being around grant hill during his time and Steve and, and guys like that, that guys that could tell him stories about the game and being around it. And it kind of, I'm probably speaking out of turn here, but I get the feeling that, that Robert may have been a bit of a nerd growing up and this is his chance to kind of be at the cool kids table. So I think James benefits from being able to be like, yeah, I was there. I've raised the trophy. I was around LeBron, the big three, all these things which probably gives him more credibility when asking for things that other GMs may have uh, may have failed at. Because let's be honest, Lance Blanks may have played a cup of coffee in the NBA, but he didn't have that cachet. Obviously, Ryan McDonough didn't play in the league, uh, and, and so he didn't have that pedigree. I think James does have that. Yeah, I, I think he's he's got that respect, like you're talking about, that experience. And he also just has this demeanor like, He's not a dude that you mess with, not because he's like intimidating or menacing or anything like that, but he's just the guy that kind of walks into the room and has that presence about him. Like this guy knows what he's doing when he speaks. He's like intelligent, like the words coming out of his mouth. You can just tell he knows what he's talking about. He's been there. He's done that. And I think that matters with an owner like Sarver, who's used to kind of, you know, taking matters into his own hands a little bit. I just I love this move because it's been a gradual progression, right? Like it hasn't happened overnight and it's just been smart moves that have pushed a franchise that's never really been historically a free agency destination in the right direction, right? Like you think about a franchise like the Suns, they're a team that has to draft well and they also have to nail the moves on the margins. And he's done that. It, it hasn't been perfect because there have been missteps like Saul mentioned, you know, Landry Shamit's not looking great. You know, we could talk about drafting Jalen Smith. We could talk about, um, you know, not bringing back Torrey Craig. We could talk about the DA extension talks and how those didn't um, come to fruition. But, like, just going back to even before the Chris Paul trade, everyone's going to point to that as the, you know, the big move. And that's a great move, obviously. But, like, the dominoes that had to be lined up to get to there, you know, the Ricky Rubio signing that everyone said, Oh, that was too much money, $17 million a year for Ricky Rubio. And then he's a centerpiece in that trade. Uh, the Kelly Oubre trade that Espo mentioned, Oubre was also part of the Chris Paul trade. 
um, getting campaign on a bargain deal, finding Frank Kaminsky, finding Bismarck Biombo, getting Aaron Baines here, like all of these little moves on the margins, finding respected veterans, finding guys that fit his profile and fit his system of what he wants to build here. It's really incredible. You know, even drafting Cam Johnson, another move that was kind of ridiculed at the time and that Dario Saric trade, like those are all moves that have helped this team become marginally better and building a culture matters. And he and Monty Williams are at the centerpiece of all of that. This isn't the argument, but I do I do want to say something. Uh, you you kind of said you said something about free agents. I agree that Phoenix has never been a free agency destination when it comes to the highest level players. You know, like your LeBrons and KDs and stuff like that. But I would say that they've always been a destination for you know your let's just say their A, B, and C level players, your upper B level players that can get you wins but couldn't really get you to a championship or, or win a championship. I think we there's a, there's a history of that. I just wanted to say that out loud. Yeah, and yeah. I I, th- I think that's that is critical and also we should note that like this is good progress for the league as far as representation mattering, you know. James Jones is one of only 11 black GMs in a league with 30 teams and the Suns have a black head coach as well. And I think that is a really cool yeah, thing that you absolutely. look at the top of the standings and the Suns have this culture. They have this winning reputation. Now they're well ahead of everybody else. And they're led by two black men. I, I think that is really important to note with all of this as well. Yeah. And I, I think one thing that that goes back to building this roster too, is James Jones confidence in what he thinks is the right decision he did not care that people snickered when he took Cam Johnson, right, at 11, or when he traded back from 6 to 11 to take Cam Johnson and, and got Dario as part of that and then took Cam, uh, you know, 14 spots higher than most people had him on a draft board. He doesn't care. He knows what he wants to accomplish, and he's sticking to that. And I don't know that that's – what every GM or, or a majority do. I think there's a lot of group think when it comes to this uh, in, in a lot of front offices and James Jones, while he, while he listens to people in his front office knows what he believes in and will stick to it because he thinks it's right. I also think he does do a good, real, a really good job of surrounding himself with quality people who are both good people and intelligent. I never worked, personally for James Jones, but everyone I knew who did always had nothing but really positive things to say about him. And I think that goes a a long way. And kind of to your point, Gerald, um, were you kind of just talking about his character that he doesn't come in and like necessarily demand respect, but it's just almost automatically given based off of the way that he carries himself and his demeanor. Like he does a really good job of lifting up the people around him being firm enough to make really good decisions and not necessarily be wishy-washy, but being able to trust his decision-making while also still having a lot of fun at the same time. So The Undefeated put out an article about this extension with some quotes from James. And one of the things that he talked about was last year when he was awarded um, the Executive of the Year Award, he declined to be interviewed after he received that award, because he said he wanted all the focus to be on his players and what they were doing on the court. And that he sees that award 
less of an individual award and more as a team award because at the end of the day, the, if the guys that he puts on that floor and the coaching staff around those guys aren't excelling in their jobs, he's not going to win that award. So really, it's those guys who are doing the work that set him up to get the recognition in the first place. Yeah, and that's that that selflessness is important too in, in a leadership role. And it, it's, I'll say this, it's surprising that a guy doing this for the first time uh, has as much of it as, as James Jones does right now, uh, because that's not always the case. Kind of sometimes is first time you're in a front office, first time you're doing a job like this, guys like that tend to puff their chest because, hey, look at what I was able to put together. And James Jones, uh, much like the way he played, has no ego about this. Even though his nickname is Champ, and he could absolutely have an ego if he wanted to. <laughs> I mean, listen, like, I think James Jones, you know, in, in speaking to James Jones, and I know uh, just about everybody on this panel has spoken to him, um, he's he's very humble, in, in my opinion. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't really gloat too much about a lot of different things. And I think he also understands his place in, in history. Um, let's be real. Like, he didn't carry any of those championship teams, right? But he was a contributor to them. So it's easy to be like, hey, I was been I was been I I reaped the benefits of being around LeBron uh, on multiple occasions and, and and other dudes that helped carry those teams. And I was fortunate enough to contribute. And I think he takes that experience and understands that. And when he comes here into this setting, he's like, listen, without money, none of this happens either. Without Chris Paul, none of this happens either. So it's easy to be humble even though you're the one that's kind of, you know, puppeteering this entire thing, it's easy to kind of sit back and realize like, Hey, I'm nobody. If these guys don't do what they do. Um, and, and that's, that's, that is also a mark of a great leader. Exactly. That, that kind of makes him the perfect guy to take on a task like this of, of building a complete roster the way that he has, because, you know, when you're from the top down, when you're one of those superstars, it might be harder to see what everyone else is doing because you're, I mean, you're focused on being a superstar. You're doing the big, the heavy lifting night in and night out. When you're a guy like James Jones, who who contributes to a championship, but isn't like, you know, a, a regular starter or, or the guy that's, you know, putting up 20 points a night, you see the roster from the top to the bottom. And I feel like you get a, maybe get a better appreciation for all the little cogs in the machine that make a championship contender work. So that's, I mean, that's really kind of, you couldn't have asked for a more perfect basketball mind to come and approach a franchise like Phoenix and completely turn it around in the course of three years. Like that's, that's really remarkable. And I don't know how long this extension is for, but it's really good that the Suns are keeping him in place. And because he would have been the hottest commodity on the market if they had done something really dumb and let him go. Do you guys remember way back in the day, um, this popped up on my Twitter timeline, I think like two weeks ago. Do you remember the Harlem Shake Challenge? Yes. yes. <laughs> I saw the Miami Heat's Harlem Shake Challenge when James was on that team popped up on my Twitter timeline a couple weeks ago. And if you haven't seen it in a while, I highly recommend going to YouTube and watching it because James in that video is so funny. He's got this massive oversized like clown tie on. He's got a rainbow wig on, some goofy glasses and suspenders. And it is just 
it's priceless. So if you haven't seen that in a while, I highly recommend going. Literally watching it right that now as we speak. <laughs> I, I Can I give like a little Harlem... story time? Yeah. yeah. So I was with the Suns at this time, and every team had to get in on this, right, in one way or another. And, of course, back then Lance Blanks wanted uh, – nobody could have any access to the team. So we had to get employees and, and former players to, to do our, our Harlem Shake, and we did it in the team shop. And do you remember the Eye on the Prize, the, the trophy guy commercials from back in the day? Yeah. Okay. I dressed in that trophy costume for <laughs> for that video. Uh, and it's so, uh, and I have, I, I've, I think I've shown it uh, on previous iterations of the show, but a photo of me in that dress is the Larry O'Brien trophy. And then somebody photoshopped it into Chris Paul and Devin Booker's hands uh, as a joke uh, during the finals run last year. So that's, a, that's, awesome. that, that's my memory of the Harlem Shake is dressing like a complete buffoon in a uh, Larry O'Brien trophy uh, costume. I would love for another round of like the Harlem Shake Challenge, whatever, whatever new trendy TikTok challenges out there. I would love for it to go through all the NBA teams again, because I was not in the NBA when that happened. Um, but I remember seeing all of those videos and they were so much fun. So I would be in full support if that happened again. I, I feel like the tick or the Harlem Shake was like TikTok before there was TikTok, right? Yeah, oh, yeah for sure. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, before we move on to our next topic, any final thoughts or anything else you would like to mention about the Suns extending uh, general manager James Jones? A, a man who truly deserves his flowers made out of all $100 bills. So congratulations, <laughs> James. All right. Well, four teams remain in the NFL playoffs, and that means only four teams left for you to bet on at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 to get $280 in free bets if your team wins. Now, if you're not a new customer, you can experience the conference championships with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So be sure to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use that promo code PHNX and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. One more time, that promo code is PHNX. Now that is 21 and older only, Arizona only gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. New customers only, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. All right, gentlemen, let's spend some time today talking about Devin Booker and more specifically his defensive improvement over the past few seasons. So last night, Devin notched his 13th 30-point game of the season, finishing with 33 points. However... It wasn't the most efficient outing he's had, going 14 of 35 from the field, but defensively, he was sound and made some very important defensive stops, including one late in the game on Jordan Clarkson. What have you liked that you have seen about the progression of Devin defensively? I mean, he's bought in all the way. That's the number one thing. Um, I think in, in the past, 
You know, honestly, watching Chris Paul come in here and, and, and kind of uh, lead the way to a degree is, um, I think, is what kind of cemented everything for Devin because he realized, you know, how how you can't be viewed as a great player if you only do it on one end of the court. And unless you do it at an insanely high level, and there's only a few guys in NBA history that, that have done that. And Devin, you know, listen, Kobe was a, a huge in, impact on Devin. We all know this. Uh, CP3 has been a huge impact on Devin and both of those dudes play on both ends um, and they play very hard and they understand, you know, one of the things about, you know, the greats like Michael Jordan was or, or Larry Bird. I remember a story about Larry Bird about like Larry would make it known that if he's willing to do something to sacrifice his body, you damn well better be. Otherwise, he would run your ass out of the out of the league, period. And um, Devin Booker kind of seems like he's kind of abiding by that as well. Last night, diving on the floor, uh, you know, he was he was wreaking havoc on the defensive end. Um, and then individually, just solid fundamental defense and understanding like, oh, when guys buy into the point where they know, like, I got this, I don't need no damn help. Like, then, you know, you know, they're hooked. And Devin is not only playing that at a high level in terms of one on one defense, but he's also very, very good defensively as as in, in the team scheme. It, his growth has been unbelievable. I think his growth has been so much more unbelievable on the defensive end versus the offense. It's not even close. I just, I love, it just comes down to effort for me, right? Because I feel like, you know, a, a high percentage of defense is just being willing to, to go out there and put the effort in, and early in his career, I think it probably wasn't there. But, I mean, you look at the rosters he was playing with and and what the hell's the point in putting an individual effort when there's no team defense and, you know, I have nobody behind me. But with this team completely bought into that team defensive mentality, like Saul mentioned, he is putting forth the kind of effort that uh, – only a handful of of great offensive guys ha- have put forth on that other end and it's but not I, always but, perfect it's not always pretty but i love the effort and then he's learned also he's learned where to be uh, how to set up uh, you know guys where he knows he's got da or or bismock or javel behind him uh, and and where he can hedge his bet it, he's gotten smarter with it too well, it's, you know you, you you said that um you know it, it imposing your will is more than just in a game situation right and i think it took him a while to learn that he can impose his will within his team and so to your point earlier about how he had a bunch of bums behind him and so it was like why play hard defense i was like well that's that feeds into that losing mentality right and i think he's learned over the years like you can't have that mentality otherwise you're always going to be a high scorer on a losing team like and and so I think he's 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 modified that. I think Monty has helped a, a great deal into changing that narrative for him. Um, and I think he's developed because he understands like I'm the franchise, like I am the franchise, and this franchise is only going to go as far as as my work ethic will dictate because I can impose my will with everybody else that comes in. Chris Paul knew this was Devin Booker's team. Like everybody knows this is Devin Booker's team. But if Devin Booker isn't playing defense, guess what? The narrative changes and and the atmosphere changes and so does the play on the court. And I think Devin Booker's absolutely bought into the fact that he needs to do it at, at, in every facet of the game, and he's and he and he is right. And and I think it's 
it's telling that, you know, like the advanced stats don't love him. I'm not going to lie to you guys looking at his defensive numbers this morning. They're not great as far as all the advanced metrics and whatnot, but being a starter who's playing, you know, 36 minutes a night on the second ranked defense in the NBA, that counts for something. The fact that he's routinely trying hard on the defensive end counts for something. The fact that Chris Paul said part of the reason he wanted to come to Phoenix was because he saw Devin Booker as a two-way player. That counts for something. So, I mean, I you know, you, you can look at a couple of things like his defensive box plus minus is the highest of his career. He's easily going to surpass his career high in defensive win shares. He's got the highest block and steal percentage of his career. We've seen quite a few, you know, plays where he steps in and just reads a play perfectly with a steal or where he gets those chase down blocks that he's known for now. Um, he's just, he's bought in. And, and I think, you know, part of that, like Saul was saying, you don't want to have that losing mentality of defense doesn't matter, but it's really hard to get up on both ends of the floor when your second best player is like Tyler Ewis or Marquise Chris, like you're just not going to be, especially with the load he was shouldering offensively. Now that he doesn't have to do as much on the offensive end to carry this team. And now that this team is a winner, I feel like we're seeing the Devin Booker that we might've seen at an earlier stage in his career. If the Suns had put any sort of talent around him, I, I don't want to say that for sure. Because I think with Booker, it's always been a gradual progression in, in addressing key areas of his game. But, you know, you saw that stop on Jordan Clarkson that he had last night asking for that assignment. Um, and normally in the past, he's always asked for defensive assignments and hasn't always done a great job with them because that's just been his mentality. But now he's doing a great job with them. And I think the other thing is like his off-ball defense has grown leaps and bounds. Like his on-ball defense has never been bad, but it's getting backdoored. It's not ha- being in the right position for help. It's just kind of falling asleep at the wheel on the defensive end that stood out for him. And those plays are a lot fewer and further between now. Yeah, for me, you know, I get the advanced metrics aren't aren't favorable, uh, but you bring up those chase down blocks, those those plays where it looks like he's, you know, the entire team's completely uh, out of out of position and, and it doesn't have a chance to make a stop. And all of a sudden he comes down and, and he gets a finger on a ball or he he, you know, changes the trajectory of a pass or, or, or a shot last second. Like those little things are what I think stand out most to me defensively for him. And, and again, that effort that, that that putting putting forth that. So he may never be what you consider a great defensive player, but from where he was to where he is now, that's a huge amount of progress. And and I think that's where uh, I want to praise him. I, I'm not going to say he's a, an elite defender. He's not making an all defensive team, but he's come such a long way that it's now a valuable part of his game. Well, you know, even if the metrics don't show Devin's defensive efforts in the best way, He's obviously doing something right if he's also now starting to get even more recognition from players around the league. Gerald, you mentioned Chris Paul speaking about how he is a two-way player. And then, of course, just about a week ago, Rudy Gobert said, Devin is playing his ass off defensively. I've been watching him compared to two years ago. Guys like that, they buy in. 
And you can tell they take pride in playing defense and stopping their man. So even if the stats don't necessarily back it up, I think the words of good players around the league maybe hold a little bit more weight or at least a comparable amount of weight to the stats. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, and I think that matters because we've been hearing for years, guys talk about how, you know, Booker's next or how Booker's going to be the next great star in this league. And that was just, be, that was when he was toiling away on losing Suns teams and just kind of putting up big numbers on the offensive end. We knew that the offense would translate. We didn't know if he would be, you know, like a James Harden type on the defensive end for his whole career. And now we're finally seeing that, no, like with a real contender or just any team that has talent, because you go back to the first season where it looked like he was really starting to try hard on the defensive end was when they had Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre. And that team was a couple games under 500, even after the 8-0 bubble run. But you saw it in that bubble. He was buying in. You saw that he was sticking with guys for you know seconds on end off the dribble, which is something that just didn't happen before. So I think all that is really important. And we should also note that for whatever reason, like if you look at the on-court, off-court stats, all of the Sun starters, their defensive rating is a lot higher than the guys coming off the bench. So it might be skewed a little bit, some of those advanced metrics, by just how good defensively the Suns bench has been and how much better the quality of starters they've faced is, is you know, compared to the guys the bench is facing. All right, Espo, I think to wrap this up, you have a little bit of um, a bone that you'd like to pick with somebody from the Twitter <laughs> space. Is that a good way to, to tee that one up for you? <laughs> sure, sure. We'll call it a bone to pick. Uh, that's a, that's a, a polite way to, to say it, I guess. Uh, so this gentleman named uh, Ben Anderson at Ben's Hoops, which I'd never heard of before today, but uh, now I, I know way too much. Uh, he covers the jazz for KSL Sports. He hosts the Jake and Ben show on something called Zone Sportsnet, and he does something called Jazz Notes on KSL News Radio. Uh, so obviously a, uh, a jazz homer. Here, and we have no problem with homers. I mean, we, you know, sometimes I'm accused of it as well. But last night, he decides to tweet, nobody loves juicing their numbers against a bad basketball team more than Devin Booker. And, uh, yeah, uh, first off, is that, like, the worst self-own, uh, by the way? He's calling I was just going to say that that's kind of mean towards his team, right? I, I wouldn't mean, necessarily I mean, I say I would categorize the Jazz as a bad team maybe last night just with all the injuries but i mean i, I get know. it they weren't playing with the, with their stars and everything so fine but where did this this guy obviously i mean this is one of those say you don't watch a suns game without saying you don't watch suns games kind of thing because just you know a couple games previous against indiana a team that is a bad team that was missing starters devin booker had 11 points right this is not a guy that only plays well against bad teams and and stuffs his stats this was this guy looking at one freaking game not knowing anything else about devin booker and going well he shot 35 shots and had 33 points this is not devin booker it may have been his rookie year maybe bleeding into that 
second year. But Devin Booker has become an efficient guy that does it on nights, regardless of who the competition is. I mean, this guy sounds like maybe he's a little bitter about Donovan Mitchell not being Devin Booker. You know, maybe it was a little of he didn't like Rudy Gobert praising Devin Booker a few days ago, so take some cheap shots. But this is, I mean, it's asinine to try to put that on Devin Booker. And I don't think there's a guy out there who takes more shit from people who claim they understand basketball, but don't actually watch Devin Booker or the Suns more than a handful of times when they're either playing a national game when nobody else is playing or playing that particular person's team. Enough with this bullshit. And, and Ben, you're just wrong, man. And when your starters come back on Wednesday and Devin Booker kicks your ass efficiently, I hope you're man enough to tweet you know, a retraction or a guess I got that wrong, all right? Because your Twitter handle probably should be at Ben's oops because you got a lot of bad takes, bro, and uh, maybe you should cool down a little bit. I was waiting for that. I was like, somewhere in here we're going to get some sort of a pun. When is it coming? He can't, re- he can't stop himself. He loves the puns. yeah i mean it like the thing that pissed me off was like i think he's purposely being like a disingenuous troll yeah Yeah. like he's doing it on purpose to get a rise out of suns fans but like you know he kept going like he at the end of the game he tweeted i was way off on this one sorry suns fans 33 points on a season high 35 field goal attempts for book and it's like bro you're you who covers the utah jazz and donovan mitchell who is like the king of more field goal attempts than points are going to tweet that shit out. Like shout out to Mike V Hill of the timeline. Cause he quote tweeted it and said, Booker has shot over 30 field goal attempts six times in his career averages 43.5 points in those games. And the Suns have a four and two record. Mitchell has shot over 30 field goal attempts 14 times in much fewer games played average only 35 points in those games. And the jazz have a three and 11 record. So like, if you're going to tweet shit like that out, you need to understand the person, the star that you are covering. And this is not a shot at Donovan Mitchell, but like do better. Like if you're going to troll, at least troll, right. Right. Yeah, because but- you can't come at another team's player for doing the exact same thing, but less frequently as the player that you hype up day in and day out. You know yeah. what I mean? Like Fine. at least double check to see if you're going to get, you're going to end up eating your words on this before you tweet it. But Don Donovan does it against good teams. He jacks up shitty shots 30 times a game against good teams. So it's not the same thing. He does he's an equal opportunity offender. You know, that's probably what he'd say. He had to shoot those 30 shots. Screw this guy. If you don't watch, if you don't watch and you don't understand, don't make a, a blanket statement just to try to troll. It's 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 passe, it's asinine. Just knock it off. My my favorite part of that was he also tweeted about his defense. He said the Jazz look like they're targeting the guy who Gobert applauded for his defensive effort last week. And then that wound up backfiring in a major way when Book got that key stop on Jordan Clarkson late in the fourth quarter. So, you know what, if, if you're going to troll, I guess you might as well look like an idiot in the process. I just really have a problem with people that cover the NBA and they're like major fanboys and they openly – root against or show disdain for players that are like stars in this league like if you don't like basketball but you only like your particular team's basketball just say that it's a weird look for an nba writer 
you're really going to hate me when we play the Lakers again and I got to dog out Russell Westbrook, but okay, that's another story. <laughs> but that's just, that's just <laughs> criticizing a player who sucked this year. Like that's different. I feel like this is just like open disdain and it's off base too. Like if, yeah. if, he, if he had a legitimate criticism of book, that'd be one thing, but the dude's just digging up tropes from like three years ago. It's weird. Yeah, for sure. Because they still stand that Donovan Mitchell is a much better player than Devin Booker. And I just, I, I just don't, A, it's not a fair argument. At worst, they're equal. But I think Devin Booker's proven uh, in his leadership, in his ability to play both ends, like we've talked about, uh, the, the way he's become more efficient, that he's grown more as a player than Donovan Mitchell has. But, I think at worst they're equal footing, but they don't want to hear that. So, well, you know, maybe it's just um, a little bit of projecting because you're mad at something else, and that's just the way yeah. that he decided to get things off his chest. Who knows? So, but so at at Ben Hoops, here's your dead flowers. All right. <laughs> Dead and wilted. Uh, but it'll be interesting because we'll see if he has anything to say tomorrow night. Uh, the Suns are going to face off against the Utah Jazz uh, once again, this time over in their neck of the woods. So make sure to join us tomorrow for uh, some pregame action as well as postgame coverage, as always. Until then, anything else that you guys want to bring up here or are we good to wrap up and say goodbye? Sounds like we're good to wrap up and say goodbye. <laughs> you can follow the show on Twitter at PHNX underscore Suns. You can follow me at Lindsay Smith AZ. You can follow Gerald at Gerald Borgay. You can follow Saul at Saul underscore Bookman. And of course, you can follow Espo at Espo. Espo, take us home. If you're a fan or a media member covering the jazz, just a reminder, keep your damn mouth shut tomorrow. Ahoy hoy. <laughs> <laughs>